And good morning, everyone. It is good for us to be together, gathered in Jesus' name, to sing uh, about him as we've been doing, sing truth about him, make much about him. And if you are newer to fellowship, welcome. We're glad that you're here. I hope that you have already been just warmly welcomed and received, and you should know uh, that we pray for you. Uh, we pray for those that God brings to us and trust that uh, God is doing that sovereignly, very providentially, and uh, we are trusting that God is going to work in you uh, through his word, through his spirit, and through the gathering of his people. Uh, we are now moving to a time in our worship service where we take time to open the word of God and to preach it and to teach it. And uh, I, I remind you of this often because I think it's really important for the people of God uh, to recognize why we do what we do. Uh, we are trying as a congregation of believers to be faithful to God. And we trust that in faithfulness, God accomplishes his purpose and his will. And so in the gathering of believers, we preach and teach the word of God in faithfulness to God and trust that God will work in and through that. And so we, we believe that will happen even in your life personally. I'm going to begin a new uh, preaching series today. Uh, we're going to be moving uh, to the Old Testament uh, the Old Testament book of Joshua, and we'll start in chapter one, and we'll probably get through five, six, maybe uh, chapters before uh, the end of November, but we'll see how the Lord leads in that. And many of you uh, already know this if you've been a part of fellowship for a while, but for those of you who are, are newer, uh, I try to intentionally preach on different books of the Bible uh, while also intentionally moving to different genres of scripture. And, uh, and, that, and that's purposeful so that we as a church are getting a more comprehensive understanding of the scriptures. And uh, we believe that this entire Bible is the word of God. And so we believe that there is truth in this Old Testament and that God has purpose in it. And so uh, I hope uh, that you will see that. If you're not all that familiar uh, with the Old Testament, I, I believe that this study will help you better understand uh, how the Old Testament stories and narrative, and, and, and specifically this book of Joshua, fits into the overall story of Scripture. And so today, uh, in, in today's message, we're going to be looking at God's promise to his servant and to his people. So we're really going to be focusing on God's promise and, and, you know, this is true of all scripture, but I think especially in the Old Testament, it's easy for us to think that these books of the Bible are about the people, but they really are not. They are about the God, <laughs> the God of the scriptures and God's work in the people's lives. And we're going to see that. So this promise that I talked to you about, God's promise, it it doesn't just happen, it, it happens in the midst of something. It happens in the midst of great uncertainty. Israel is, is, is going to endure their greatest transition of leadership that's about to take place. I want you to, in this moment right now, just think about a past transition of leadership that you have experienced in your life. Maybe it was in your workplace, one of your bosses or supervisors or vice presidents or president or CEO, and there's been a transition, and with that came uncertainty. 
Maybe it's been in your previous church. Maybe in a volunteer organization that you were a part of for a long time and then something, new leadership came and immediately there's this sense of what's going to change. Maybe it was in your town, in your city, in your borough, in your township, in your country. Many times these transitions of leadership are stressful. They, they cause us to worry and to feel anxious. And, and the reason for that is because we know things are changing and, and we're uncertain about that change. So as you think about in your own life, the most significant transition of leadership that maybe you've experienced, what were your fears? What were your worries? And then think about this, were they even realized? Maybe some of them were, maybe some weren't. Well, this book of Joshua that we're going to be looking at, it it starts with the leadership of the entire Hebrew nation changing, transitioning. Moses is dead. Joshua is now in charge. How will the people respond? What will they do? How will things change? What will it look like? And into the midst of that uncertainty, God speaks promise. And it is into the midst of your uncertainty, whatever it is, whatever your uncertainty is today, it is into that uncertainty that your God speaks promise. And so I want to encourage you to hear what your, my hope is that he's your God, your promise-keeping God has to say to you. So let's pray and ask God to go before us. Lord, I submit myself to you, and we as a congregation submit ourselves to the authority of the word of God, and we recognize that in this word is life and truth and godliness and righteousness, and it is the way for us. There is a way that seems right to us, but that's not the way. This is the way, your way, your path. Many times we will lean on our own understanding, but you've asked us not to do that, but instead to trust in you and you will guide us in the right path. So Lord God, I pray that you would do that even now through your word, each one of us, whatever, whatever situation we're facing, each person here that... Maybe it's uncertainty. Maybe, maybe there's a step of faith. Whatever it is, Lord God, may you meet them and may they see the greatness of their God, a God that can be trusted. Be glorified, Lord, in this time. Christ, be lifted up and magnified. In your name, Lord Jesus, I pray, amen. So I'd like to start by giving you a little bit of a summary of where we are in biblical history, because I don't want to assume we're all on the same page, because uh, I would expect we are not all on the same page in this room in in terms of where, you know, when we pick up this book, where are we? So I'd like to kind of help bring you along, but I'm going to do it very, very quickly and in very, very summary uh, fashion. So in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of, of the Bible, the Old Testament, God called a man named uh, Abram uh, to himself. He, he eventually changed his name to Abraham. You might know him as Abraham. And he promised Abraham 
that he would make a great nation from Abraham's descendants. The problem is Abraham was married uh, to Sarah or Sarai and eventually changed to Sarah and she was barren. She was unable to have children. So so this was going to be a difficult thing for God to do, but he did it in, in a miraculous fashion. He promised Abraham that this nation that would come from him would also have land, land that they could call their own. And so these descendants of Abraham, they, they grow and, and generations happen, generation after generation. And after several generations, this nation is much larger now and they find themselves in slavery in Egypt. And God raises up a man named Moses to deliver his people. Interestingly enough, God providentially allowed for Moses to grow up in Egypt in actually the palace of Pharaoh, but he was a Hebrew. He was a descendant of Abraham. God knew that and had a purpose for him. So Moses eventually leads his people out of bondage. That's in the book of Exodus. We know that as the Exodus. Takes them out of bondage and slavery of Egypt, and he takes them into the desert. And his hope is to bring them to this land that God has promised, that that, that God promised to Abraham generations earlier. And so the story is continuing. Now I want to put up a map um, on the screen here, and you can see this is a little bit of an example of the Exodus. You'll see a couple different lines there, but you'll see up at the top, uh, just south of the Mediterranean Sea is, is Egypt, Goshen. And then they, that blue solid line is what we know is the traditional route of, of the Exodus. And you could see that, I mean, they were on quite a journey all over the place, these people. But what happens is the people disobey God as they're going along. Because what happens is they don't trust God. They don't believe that God can drive out the inhabitants of the land that God promised to them. And so they are unfaithful to God. And so God causes them to wander in this desert for 40 years as a result. Finally, the time of wandering ends. Many who left Egypt on the journey with Moses have now died. In fact, an entire generation died. And and then the next generation comes up. So that generation that died, they're not going to see this promised land, but this other generation is still alive and waiting to see the land. They're close, but they're not there yet. I want to pick up from there in Deuteronomy chapter 34. So if you're in the book of Joshua, just flip to the left, one page, or depending on your Bible, two or three, not sure. Deuteronomy 34, verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of the Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land. Take this in. Don't just read it. Try to visualize what's going on here. The Lord shows Moses the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the Valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Those are the generations that I was mentioning to you earlier. The Lord is reminding him of the generational promise that he made. And he says, I will give it to your offspring. And that is referenced back to Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. I have let you see it with your eyes, Moses, but you shall not go over there. Just imagine Moses 
taking that in. Thanks for showing this to me. Let me show you this great thing that I'm not going to let you do. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Did you get that? He died according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. So he was a young guy. Right? His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Here's what that means in today's language. He was still in really good shape. He could see really well, and anybody who's 120 years old wouldn't mind being described as full of vigor, right? Vigor unabated, full of vigor. He was, he, he was doing fine. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, and then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were, were ended. And they weren't ended because the people stopped mourning. They were ended because that was the time period had come to an end, but the people still were feeling the loss. So I want to give you an idea. If we'll go to the map, this next map, Mount Nebo on this side, and then Jericho, this gives you kind of an idea where where the Lord took Moses, and he's standing and looking over this valley. He can see Jericho, and and God is saying, here's the land that I've promised, but you're not going to go into it. But as you can see from this text, Moses' death, and burial is a mystery. And, and, and the Lord clearly intended for this to remain a mystery. Here's what we know. We've talked about this before when we looked at the book of Acts, right? We should look at the text and find out what we know first, what it tells us, and then we draw other conclusions accordingly. Well, we know he was 120 years old. We know that he died with good vision. That's pretty good. He died full of vigor. He didn't die of old age. He didn't just get old. Moses was strong and he was ready to continue, but his time had come and the Lord took him home. You think about Moses' life. His whole life was filled with miracles. He was literally born into the miraculous. He was floating down the Nile in a basket as a baby. To be saved from people who were killing uh, young male children. And, and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. She saw him and then had one of her attendants go and, and get him out of the water. And he was raised in the palace. That's not, that's, that's not coincidence, right? Like, we get that. That's not coincidence. That's, that is God superintending events. That's providence, That's sovereignty. Moses walked on holy ground. Moses talked to God through a bush that was on fire that was somehow not burning. This was, this was, these are some of the things this man experienced. He talked to God on a mountain that the people couldn't even get near Because if they got near it, they would die. Moses would go up on it and talk to God. He asked God if God would show him his glory. And so God hid him behind a cleft of a rock. And and God allowed his glory to pass by so that Moses could see him. 
And now he dies. And God essentially buries him. No one knows where. Many scholars believe God did this to keep the nation of Israel from worshiping his grave. Turning his grave into a shrine. Because here's what people would do. They would go to the grave and ask Moses what they should do. They'll go there and say, what, Moses, what should we do about this? Instead of going to God. You see, the power of Moses was in God. And so God took that away. This whole potential of a shrine. So when it comes to being famous for knowing God, no one knew God like Moses. No one. No one up to this point. And, and you, we, we just have to understand just how significant this is in the story. So look at Deuteronomy 34.10. I'll put it up here on the screen. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. What an amazing text of scripture to be written about a person. There has been no one like this man whom the Lord knew face to face and whom Moses knew. I mean, you want to talk about a tough act to follow. Talk about big shoes to fill, right? We talk about that. Who in the world wants to replace Moses? He seemed to be, essentially, God's favorite person on earth up to this point. He seemed to be the the person God spoke to, that God worked through, that God's power manifested through. Who wants to replace him? Enter Joshua. He gets the easy task of replacing Moses. So whatever difficult transition you've experienced where you've had to take over for somebody who was tough to follow, I can assure you it was nothing like Joshua taking over for Moses. So let's talk about Joshua. Who is this Joshua? Well, Joshua was born in Goshen, Egypt as a Hebrew slave. So he was born into slavery. He assisted Moses from his youth. We we see that in Numbers 11. He accompanied Moses to the mountain of God in in Exodus uh, 24. We see that. He was was a part of of what it is that that Moses was doing. He didn't do everything Moses did, but he was a part of it. He, He supported him. Moses changed his name from Hosea, meaning salvation, to Joshua, the Lord saves. We see that in Numbers 13. Joshua was one of the 12 spies that, that, that spied on the land of Canaan because Moses sent the spies to see, hey, here's the land that God is giving to us. Let's see if we can take it. And the spies come back and 10 of the 12 say, there's no way we can take it. This is a bad idea. Two of them said, no, we can do it, Joshua and Caleb. That was in Numbers 14. 
Moses commissioned Joshua for service to the Lord as commanded by the Lord God. In Numbers 27, the Lord God literally commanded Moses to commission Joshua to himself. Meaning God asking Moses to commission Joshua to God as a servant of God. And then in in Deuteronomy 31, Joshua was commissioned again by the Lord God. So God was at work and preparing Joshua for this time. Now we'll go into Joshua chapter 1. And the first thing we see is a divinely ordained transition of leadership. After the death of Moses, verse 1, Joshua 1, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead, period. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Notice how matter-of-fact the Lord speaks here, the Lord God speaks to Moses, or to, to Joshua, about Moses. Moses is dead. Thanks, God, I knew that. <laughs> But thanks for reminding me. You know, I'm trying to get over the fact that I'm taking over for him. And it's like God is saying, Moses is dead. It's your time, Joshua. The work of God must continue. It's not stopping. The work of God is not stopping. You see, this is not a disruption to God. This is not a disruption to God's plan, to God's work at all. This is, this is not a mistake. This is not a problem for God. It's not a problem. What, what's going on here? The leader of, of Israel at this point has changed, but the mission of God must continue. And that's what's happening. And why is that? Well, because the mission is from God, and the power to fulfill the mission is from God. None of that has changed. That hasn't changed at all. See, some things have changed, but some things haven't changed. And this is God's perspective. So God's perspective is, hey, the mission's still the same. I'm still the same God. We've still got the mission. I've still got the power. Let's go. But the people, their perspective is different. The people just lost their beloved leader. And for them, it was tragic. Moses was revered. Yeah, they complained about him a lot. We could read about that. But they knew this man knew God. How could he ever be replaced? Yet, this is exactly what God was doing. This was God's doing. That's what we need to recognize. It was God's doing. This isn't a mistake, it's not a problem. But you could imagine all the people. That, that were gathered and, and hearing and talking about the death of Moses, how many of them probably saw this as maybe God's, maybe not, maybe God's not with us anymore. I mean, he could have he healed Moses. He didn't have to, Moses didn't have to die. What, you know, another, basically not understanding it as being of God. So what God is saying here. To Joshua is, yes, Joshua, Moses is gone, but you are not. You are here. You are alive. You are living. 
And I have purpose in that. And it is your time. It's your time. And this is, this is something that we all need. We need eyes of faith in our lives to trust in our sovereign God when, when the plan of life is not unfolding the way we think it should be unfolding. And we immediately panic. And, 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 and when we think about that panic, one of the things that we have to realize that we're doing is we're saying something about our God. We're saying he's, he's lost control. He's, he doesn't know what's going on. But he does. And he can be trusted. And that's what he's doing here. Now let's look at the mission. The mission. Go over the Jordan into the land I have promised to you. And we see that in verses 2 three, and four, which, again, was just read for us. My ser- Moses, my servant, is dead. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And then he gives them the boundaries. This is the mission for Joshua. Lead the people. Take them over the Jordan River and into the promised land. This is the very thing Moses dreamed about. This is the very thing Moses was aiming for once they got out of Egypt, to get the people there. But he wasn't the one given the mission to do this. But here was God letting Joshua know, you get to do it. Why? Because God called Joshua to do it. That's it. Simple as that. God God said, this is what you're going to do. And Moses, this is what you're going to do. Now, we know that there was, there was an issue that, that caused Moses to not see the promised land. But again, even that, God was sovereign and providential over and had a plan in place. Joshua, lead my people into the land. And then in case Joshua forgot what land that God was talking about, which could never happen because they talked about it so often. The Lord God spells out the borders of the land. Everything within the border is God-given. It belongs to them. It's theirs. God promised it to them. So you can see kind of here a little bit of an example of the borders of the promised land uh, as shown to Moses and then also as promised to Joshua here. And, And the thing I want you to what I want you to notice is at this time it's being shown, none of this belongs to the people of Israel. But what God is saying to them is it's yours because I gave it to you. But none of it is theirs. But that's not how, what God is saying. He's saying it's yours. I gave it to you. And this is the mission that Joshua has. Now let's look at God's promise. This is what God will do. This is not what Joshua will do. This is what God will do because God starts with what he will do. Verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So I want to give you three, I want to look at three promises here. The first one is that God will ensure that no one will be able to stand against you. God is going to ensure this on behalf of Joshua and and the people of God. God makes this promise personal too because he connects it to Joshua's physical life, his lifespan. 
all the days of your life. No one will be able to stand against you. Why would God promise that? Why would he promise that? Well, he, he's recognizing that there are going to be those who stand against you, they're, but they're not going to be able to defeat you. They're not going to be able to stop the mission that I've given you. And, and he's also saying that to stand against the servant of God, Joshua, here, is to actually stand against God himself. Because this is what God is doing. And no one who opposes God is going to come out of that victorious. So God will ensure that no one will be able to stand against you. This is a promise that God gives. The second promise is that God will be with you just as he was with Moses. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. This must have been so comforting to Joshua to hear God promise that God would be with Joshua in the same way he was with Moses, the great Moses. Because that had to be something that Joshua would think about when he, when he was given this task. Are you going to be with me the way that you were with Moses? Because Joshua saw how God was with Moses. Could Joshua receive the same measure of God's presence, God's help? And the answer is yes. That's precisely what God promised here. So the difference, the difference between Moses and Joshua will not be God's presence. Did you get that? It's not going to be the presence of God. That's according to the promise. I'm just taking that right out of the text. It won't be God's presence. It's just going to be a different mission. The mission of Moses is different than the mission of Joshua's. Moses had the mission of the Exodus, raising the people up, taking them out, taking them into the land, bringing them to this place. He had the law, the giving of the law. He had the the mountain, the tabernacle. Joshua must lead the people into the land. Joshua is the one who has to take possession of it. Joshua has to make it a reality. What God promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses. You see, it's not enough in the map that I showed you. It's not enough for them to go on the mountain and look at it and say, oh, it's such a nice land. Let's just take some pictures. You know, we'll post them so everyone can see how beautiful it is. No, it's not enough to look at it. Boy, God has really given us this beautiful land. Let's go back and pray about it. No, I've given it to you. Go get it. Go take it. This is, this is the promise, and this is the mission for Joshua. And then the third promise is God will never leave you, and he will never abandon you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God will not abandon Joshua. Never. That's what he's saying. God is saying, I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to abandon you, Joshua. What a promise. Think about that promise heading into the mission that Joshua had. Now, I'm going to get back to this promise here in a, in a little bit. But those are the three promises that he, that he, that he gives to Joshua. Now, I want to I raise two distinctions 
to point out for us to think about. First one is this. These promises are inextricably linked to the mission. That just simply means you can't pull them apart. They're they're tied together, more than tied. The promises are inextricably linked to the mission. You just can't detach them. So let me explain what I mean by that. Joshua must be faithful to God and the mission. And what is that mission? Well, lead the people. Go over the Jordan with them. Go into the land that I promised. And again, going into the land, that just sounds like, you know, we're going to go and we're going to pitch a few tents and have a, uh, you know, have a camp out. You know, that's not what it is. They, they're going to go into the land. They're going to be met with opposition. The people don't want them there. The Canaanites. The people in the land are not just going to give it to them. So they know what that means, go into the land. But that's how God is going to be with them as they go into the land. So Joshua can't decide, you know what? This is going to be really hard. I don't even know how we're going to get across the Jordan. I haven't figured that out yet. Moses isn't here. He never told me how we were going to get over the Jordan. We have a ton of people here, but none of them are are really too happy. Let's just go back to Egypt. So the promise God being with them is not God being with them if they decided to just go back to Egypt. The promise is connected to the mission. He can't decide to go back to Egypt with the people and expect God to just be with him and no one to stand against him. Why is that? Because he's not being faithful to the mission that God gave him. Joshua saw what happened to the unfaithful generation in the wilderness. They died. Joshua must be faithful to his God and to the mission that God gave him. And as he is, he can be certain, rock solid certain, God will be with him. And no matter who opposes the mission that he's on, as long as he's on God's mission, his God will not leave him and will not abandon him. So we need to understand the promise being linked to the mission. Second, the people's taking of the land, the second distinction is that the people's taking of the land is in the future, but God's act of giving it to them is in the past. Did you notice that? The way that's written, it's not a mistake. Verse three, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. Now, it's not an English class, but... You know, that, that's, that's, a, that's a tense, right? And it's, it's kind of letting us know that's happening in the future. But then he says, I have given to you. That's, that's something that's going to happen, have, has happened already in the past. And so what God is promising is that every step that you take in the new land will take. You didn't even take it yet. You didn't even take the step into the promised land, but every step you do take, when you take it, know this, I have already given it to you in the past. It's done. Even though the people have not yet stepped on the land, God is saying, as you step, which is in the future, know that I've already given it to you, which is in the past. This is the faithfulness of our God to his people. Now we're gonna pick up with the narrative next week with this, with this continuation of, of the story. But I want to give you two requirements of faith to consider and think about in relation to what we just saw. First one is this. We must trust that God is with us 
and will not leave us as we stay on gospel mission. God's mission, not ours. The mission in Joshua 1 was to lead the people over the Jordan and into the promised land. Now, that's not our mission. I don't know about you, but I hope you didn't come in here today and say, God gave me the mission. I got to lead people over the Jordan River. I'm going to Israel. You know, I, I don't know, but that's not the mission he's given to us, right? That's Joshua's mission. That's not our mission. We don't need to go to Israel. You don't need to, you don't need to go into the Jordan River. You don't need to be baptized there. You don't need to, you know, wade in there. You don't need to get pictures there. You don't have to do that to somehow fulfill God's mission. Like it's connected to that. That's not what this is about. That was the mission for Joshua. What's our mission? Well, Jesus gave us that in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 before he ascended. And he, and he said in, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me as he had his disciples around him. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So you don't, you don't have to see the Jordan River. You don't have to cross it. Uh, you know, to be able to fulfill the mission that Christ has given you, but you do have to go and you need to make disciples of all nations, all people. This is an all people gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Teaching them what Christ has taught us, or in this case, his disciples, And notice the promise that Jesus gives at the end. Doesn't that look familiar to what we just read in Joshua 1? The answer to that is yes. Say yes, pastor. That's the same. It's the same. Looks like Joshua 1. Yes, I am with you always. That's exactly what he he promised Joshua. I'm going to be with you always. I'll never leave you. But even here in Matthew 28, just like Joshua 1, it is tied to the mission. When you are on mission for Christ, he'll be with you always. Because you're going to get opposition. You're going to have things happen. Ask anybody who's a new believer. You know, and they have that that, oh, this has been so great, and then all these things start to happen to them, and they're like, why are all these things happening? Well, yeah, that's kind of what happens. You get, you get saved, you give your life to Christ, and you start to notice the world, the flesh, the devil attacking. But he will be with you always. But if you're on your own mission, if you're on your own mission, and you're building your own kingdom, and you're doing your own thing, and everything about your life is safe, comfortable, and convenient. That's my life. Safe, comfortable, easy, convenient. That's your mission. That's not his mission. Christ's mission to us is to make disciples of all nations, all people, all people, and we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and we teach them the things of God, and we are on mission 
So when you get up in the morning, yes, you go to work, yes, you have a career, yes, you have to pay the bills, yes, you have to take care of the kids, yes, you have to change diapers, yes, you have to clean the house, yes, you have to do those you know, mundane kind of things that, that don't feel very missional, right? Boy, this is great mission work I'm doing. But even as you do those things, you do those things in faith, trusting that this is what God has called you to do, to be a faithful follower of Christ, but they, that is not the purpose. Those are things that are serving the greater purpose, which is I am here for the Lord. And whatever he asks of me, I'm going to do it. That's my life. That's my mission because of what Jesus has asked of me here in Matthew 28. So we must trust that God is with us. Second, we must walk in faith in the present, trusting that God's faithfulness to us now and in the future has already been realized. Now, that may not make much sense to you. Let me say it again. You have to walk in faith in the present right now, trusting that God's faithfulness to you now and in the future has already been realized. That's what he promised to Joshua. So if I said to you, what's going to happen to you next week? You know, can you lay out exactly what's going to happen to you next week for like five straight days? Like, this is exactly what's going to happen. Or three days from now, whatever it is. None of us know. We, we don't know what lies ahead. And, and the reality is, is God says you don't even need to know. What you need to know is that whatever comes next week or three days from now or this afternoon or tonight, our God will be faithful to you. And here's what he says. Here's the key. You have to trust that now in the present for the reality of that in the future. In other words, you're living in the present. It hasn't happened yet, but when it does happen, I'm going to trust that when it does happen, he's faithful to me. I'm living in the present with the realization of God's faithful, faithfulness to me in the future. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. So we walk in faith in the present, realizing that the future faithfulness of God has already been realized. Our God is so good. We just sang about it. Right? We, we sang a, a song that talked about, you know, here in the power of Christ, I stand. We're singing these words. They need to mean something to us in our life as Christians. We are not able to say, yes, I know, that this is, I know that this is really what God would want, but here's all the reasons why I can't do it. I need to do this, this, and this. The Bible calls that unfaithful. James 4 calls that sin. When you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, for whatever reason, and there's a lot of good reasons to do things our way. There's a ton of really good reasons to do them our way. But when we do them our way and not God's way, it's not, we're, we're not just, you know, kind of massaging the, the details. We're, we're simply being unfaithful to God. We need to trust our God. So may we all trust in our faithful and our strong God, may we all have this kind of courageous faith. We're going to be talking a lot about courageous faith as we go through this. And so next week, uh, God shifts from what he promised he will do to what he's instructing Joshua and the people to do.
First, he starts with, here's what I'm going to do. And I know I'm going to do it because I'm faithful. And here's what you need to do. So stay with us as we go through this exciting book. And hopefully, you'll also see how it fits in to the overall story and picture of Scripture. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that no matter what comes our way, you are good. We sang about that. Lord, may that not just be a song we sing, but truth we believe. You are good. You're good. Help us to trust you, Lord, in every situation of life that we are facing. Whatever this group of people is facing in different situations, Lord God, may they find you to be trustworthy and may they put their full faith and trust in you to do things your way. Continue to teach us, Lord, through your word. And even now as we respond to the truth of your word through song, may our hearts be filled with joy in in declaring truth about our faithful, good, and strong God. Be glorified, God, we pray, in us. In Christ's name, amen.